and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. We've got plenty to talk about this week as the Premier League enters uncharted territory after events at Old Trafford on Sunday. And as well as that, we have reached the business end of the Champions League season. So we'll get our teeth stuck into that too. I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Chelsea and Rangers fan, Luke. Met Leticia. <laughs> as well as party Crystal supporter, Steve. Champions, champions. Of what? This week, this week, Partick Thistle secured the League One title and promotion back to the Scottish Championship. Get in there. 5 0 1 over Falkirk. Yes. Congratulations, uh, but also nobody really cares. <laughs> you know, but congratulations all the same, Steve. Congratulations on winning your pub league, mate. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to come uh, and punch us both and I deserve it, to be honest, Kim. Uh, there's a healthy body of water between me and him right now, so I'm happy with that. And there are rescheduled flights, is all I'm saying. Yeah, as you may have noticed, there is no Andy tonight. He's uh, currently off swanning about on holiday, so hopefully we'll have him back with us next week. Anyway, let's dive straight in. Um, with the Premier League, there's one giant story dominating the headlines this week. And as you may expect, it will dominate a fair bit of this podcast too. Um, on Sunday afternoon, Manchester United's game against Liverpool at Old Trafford was postponed after a number of fans gained entry to the stadium during their protests against the Glazer family. There were missiles thrown at TV pundits by a select few, while the majority of fans who entered the ground remained peaceful and left quite a, f- uh, a few minutes later. The aim of their actions was seemingly to make their point heard as loud as is possible uh, by basically making sure that the game that day didn't happen, which they were quite obviously successful in doing. Um, they wanted to make their voices heard on the world stage, and uh, they did pretty much just that. Uh, their actions have gained a lot of praise from many supporters and pundits alike, but as you would expect, there has been plenty of criticism too. Luke, do you approve of the actions of Manchester United fans this weekend? Not really. Not really. I think if it, I think if it leads to cancellations of games and stuff, and I, I get they're annoyed. You know, I mean, if you look at the... We'll talk about this obviously a bit later, but, you know, in, in short, they feel like they've been taken for a ride and they kind of have. But yeah. I, when it gets to a cancellation of a game, and especially at the moment with, with COVID still being a thing, I think they were a bit stupid, to be honest. And, and I, I can't really condone it in any way. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, I guess that's fair enough. But Steve, what were your initial reactions? No, I, I back it entirely. And here, here's the thing. Um, if you're going to make a protest like this, right, yes, it has to be seen on the world stage, but it has to hit the owners where it hurts. Okay, when it comes to the owners, they'll see a protest like that outside the ground. They're like, yeah, whatever, game goes ahead. We get our TV money. Everyone gets paid. We're all happy. Suddenly, that game gets cancelled. Suddenly, United are looking at a fine. Suddenly, United are possibly even looking at losing points. And the TV has to be rescheduled. Less money for a midweek fixture, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That protest hits the Glazers where it hurts, in the pocket. And honestly, if you've got billionaire owners who just want to run the club as a business, the only way you can make your point is by hitting them where it genuinely hurts in their pockets. Because they do not care about seeing the, you know, 100,000 United fans lining the street of Manchester saying Glazers out. They'll just, they'll just do what they did this week. They'll say, yeah, we'll sell. Um, Four billion pounds, please. Twice what the club's worth, but that, that's what they, they put at the press release saying. You know, we, we only sell for like twice what it's worth, etc. Because... 
that's a cash cow to them now. That's their franchise. They are never letting go of that. Yeah, I mean, look, Steve kind of alluded to uh, alluded to it there, but do you see what happened at the weekend as a sort of demonstration of what a successful protest looks like by United fans? Yeah, yeah, I mean, do you know what? They, they made their point, and I think, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I always had concerns about the Glazers buying over Manchester United, and, and, and the reason for it is is that they basically didn't really buy them. They, they What they did was they raised enough money to and then saddled the club with the debt, which yeah. has increased. It's now £450 million, which is kind of ridiculous. And if they pull their support, then United are in big, big trouble. Um, so, so I can see the point. And then this, I think this Super League thing is just a straw that's broken the camel's back mm. um, in, in terms of their, their patience about it all and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I, I get it. I really do. I think it was really, really effective, but I also think it was really, really foolish. Yeah, yeah. I I get that. Uh, Steve, do you think that, um, obviously you've said that you kind of supported it, but do you think the United fans have uh, perhaps taken it a little bit too far with their protest and what what they did in terms of breaking into the stadium? And obviously there was only a minority, and I have to say there was only a very, very minute few who did cause trouble inside the stadium by like destroying property and uh, I think there was a security guard heard at one point and threw a missile, some sort of a flare up towards the sky platform um, In terms of the, the guys that actually got into the stadium, um, yeah for the, like you say, for the most part they danced about in the pitch they set up some flares, they, they held up anti-glazer banners, you know, and they, they tried to make a point knowing the TV cameras were upon them uh, and to be honest, if you look up at the platform and see Roy Keane and Graham Souness there, you're going to take a shot. You're going to take a shot. You know, <laughs> you just <laughs> you just don't. Those are two very unlikable individuals. Um, mm, but man, the, the not protests, so fan. Well, well, Souness? Keane, you know, obviously Keane. Uh, okay, maybe. But uh, the, the protests that really surprised me and the ones that to me made no sense were the protests at Lowry Hotel. Um, it's like... I get if you're going to protest against the club, protest against the club, go to the stadium. That's where the money is. That's where the club is, right? Don't go to a hotel where your players are trying to motivate themselves for a big game and don't protest outside the hotel, right? That's just, that makes the players think, well, what have we done wrong? What have we done to upset our fans, right? Yeah, but the, the plan was to stop them from getting to the ground and get the game cancelled, wasn't it? I, I don't think that was the initial plan. I think the, the plan was obviously to, to hold this, the protest at the stadium and stop anything getting into the stadium um but to go to the the lowry i mean that just that makes the players say well hang on you know we we, what have we done what have we done to upset the fans we've done nothing Mm -hmm. but you know Mm -hmm. and to be honest from a united perspective a lot of those players are having some of the best seasons of their careers you know this is this is the strongest united team we've seen in a few years um he's always done a really really good job and i was really critical at the start of the season but I've, I've watched them play, and they, they play like a unit. They play for each other. They're a good team, you know. And why mm. would you want to derail that momentum, right? Do you protest at the ground, right? Don't don't try and get the game called off, right? Yes, fair enough. You've got to hit them where it hurts. You've got to hit them in the pocket. But I never anticipated that game would be called off. I thought it'd be like a half hour hour delay. But um, yeah, you know, the protest at the lottery stopped the team bus getting out, and it, it just I've not. I can't recall in, in memory. I've seen Premier League games postponed before. I've never ever seen fan protests result in a game being cancelled. Yeah, I believe it was the um, 
the breaches to the COVID protocol that um, actually resulted in the game being cancelled. Like, they did manage mm. to clear the fans outside the Larry Hotel quite a long time before kickoff mm. um, was initially scheduled anyway. But from what I was hearing, uh, from what they were saying, um, a bunch of fans, who, a bunch of the fans who broke into the stadium actually ran down the tunnel and went into the dressing rooms, um, thereby breaching the different COVID zone mm-hmm. restrictions. Uh, they, were do, they were doing that by being in the stadium anyway, but once yeah, they've actually yeah. gone indoors and inside to where the players are going to be, it, it basically made it impossible for the game to really happen, didn't it? There's, there's some genuinely disturbing footage from the, the Lowry of, uh, of the police um, dragging uh, one fan kind of behind the van to give him a bit of kicking. Yeah. Um, and I suspect that the uh, the DC the, the the constable in question, because uh, when he realised that you see him look up and think there's no cameras here, we're behind the vans, and he realises someone's filming on a mobile phone, and immediately gets up and starts charging the WhatsApp person, going, "Get out here! You can't film this!" And it's like, mate, it's already on Twitter, it's already on TikTok. You know, you're not you're going to get holding at the office on Monday, and you're going to get put on desk, you know, administrative duty. Um, but that, that was an interesting one. I noticed that um, one person has been charged outside the lottery, and I'm guessing it would have to be that person that got the uh, got seven bells beaten out of them because there's no other way to justify the fact they beat him up. <laughs> yeah, true. yeah, the guy, uh, the Fraser, whatever his surname is, um, who's the Sky, Sky reporter who was outside the lottery, said that he personally witnessed at least one arrest. So there were um, one or two made. Um, Coming back to the football side of things, Luke, um, there's been a number of pundits on TV, I believe Graham Soonis is one of them, who said that Manchester United fans never did this kind of thing when they were winning games under Sir Alex Ferguson and that kind of era. What do you make of those comments? Because as far as I can recall, that's incorrect. Probably probably not quite on this scale. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah. I think actually getting a game cancelled. I can't I can't actually remember. Uh, mind you, I'm getting old, getting old and in from old age, but I can't remember an opportunity where they, they actually the fans got the game cancelled. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think that's ever really happened. But um, like pundits have been saying that United fans didn't protest against the Glazers um, of any sort of magnitude or really a, at all when um, Fergie I was think in they charge. Did, you know. winning. Yeah, I, I, I think, think they did. Well, I think they did to protest against the Glazers, and the, the whole FC United of Manchester was was born out of the fact that the Glazers, you know, they, they were unhappy with the way that, that that takeover happened. And I don't blame them either because it's not a great way, you know. As as a you know, I, I sort of think the football model is flawed in the UK in yeah. that sense. And the fact that they can they can land the club with that amount of debt, it's not fair because it, it threatens their existence, you know. And I, I just don't yeah. think that's right. Am I right in saying that they essentially bought the club with the club's own money? Um, yes. Yes. So how, how that, that worked out was they, they effectively, they paid the asking price, but um, they paid the asking price to the existing owners, but did it by using getting the club to take out a loan for pretty much that amount um, against yep. its existing assets. So, you know, it, it just effectively meant, you know, here's a club that now has £400 million of debt and previously was debt-free. So, yeah. yeah. And and the the glazers are, are likely. You know, it, it's very possible a lot of the the loans which are now coming out, you know, just from a tax efficiency point of view, they'll be taking dividends um, out of the club. They'll be taking uh, they'll be loaning money from the club to them, um, to to them as the shareholders. Um, which you know I, I know from experience, you'll never see that those loans repaid. They'll get written not. off. Yeah, um, of course not. And that, that's that's how they will they will 
drag money at this club. And this is where I, I was talking to a lot of people about this this week. This is where the likes of the Glazers and Kronke and to an extent Joe Lewis at, uh, at Spurs, this is where you don't want individuals like that involved in football clubs. Um, FSG at Liverpool to an extent, um, but they their, their business model is more along the lines of rather than pulling loans and dividends out, they'll just continue to grow the asset. They'll get their payoff when they sell the club at the end. Um, and the likes of you know Chelsea and, and City, um, they basically, you know, they, they are funded by a billionaire, by billionaires who just want to use it as a toy. Um, and everybody wants that. Everybody wants billionaires who put money into the club. Nobody wants money owners who come in with the intention of making money from the club. And I, I'm of the opinion that football isn't something you come into to make a profit. Yeah, fine. Get your club on an even keel and let, let it run, you know, based on what it, what it makes. But don't come into a club thinking, I want us to earn 100 million this year. But I only want to spend 60 million because I want 40 million for a new super yacht. That's the thing. I mean, if they were serious about running a club properly, they wouldn't have saddled it still with four hundred and fifty million pound worth of debt. I mean, however many years later, they would have actually had a plan to pay down that that, that debt so that the club was debt free. Because that's what I would do if I was a football club owner that was that was, um, you know, that's, looking for the long term and trying I, to or, or convert it to equity. For example, that's another way to do it. To, to you know, that's actually a, a tax efficient way of doing things is to put the loan there and then not pay the loan down because you can claim back against the loan interest and such. Um, well, that's they're, from... they're doing it because it's low interest right now, right? So it kind of makes sense from their point of view to be tax efficient that way. But, uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, and, and bear in mind that I'm also a Rangers fan, so I kind of understand some of the, the stuff that's going on with benefactors and stuff. But at least, you know, you can see that other clubs are trying to convert it to zero equity. You can see it with the likes of Stoke and stuff, where they're not zero equity, zero debt by converting that to equity. And that sort of makes sense to me. Yeah, but those those are clubs who, who their intention is to act, the owner's intention is to actually run the club on an even keel and they put the money in to mm-hmm. begin with mm-hmm. to try and get the club running at that level. The Glazers yeah. didn't come in to get the club running at an even keel. The Glazers came in not. to strip the assets out of that club and keep it running as long as possible and then sell the shell of what's left to whoever wants to pay them a couple of billion dollars. Um, well, there is that. Yeah, if we actually... Look at the Glazers and the Manchester United fans, their campaign to have the, have the Glazers removed from their club. Is there anything that the fans can actually be doing or have we reached a point where it's pretty much damn near impossible for that club to be sold given the sheer asking price that um, the Glazers are asking for now, Luke? I, I think it is, you know, because I think ultimately um, what they're going to be looking at, I think, is that, well... Buying a club like Manchester United, if you're, a, if you're an individual billionaire, it's a play thing, right? It is. You're not going to make money off it. So, yeah. so somebody that's going to have to buy it would have to be super, super rich like Jeff Bezos or, you know, maybe the king of Dubai, you know, something like that. I don't know. You, you know what I mean? You, you and it becomes a vanity project more than anything. Because in terms of people who can actually afford to buy Manchester United and run it successfully... You are looking at that ilk now, aren't you? There's a very, very finite amount of people who can absolutely afford to come in and absolutely. do that. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of different yeah. people in the world that can buy billion dollar businesses. Four billion dollar businesses. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. But the thing with this one is um that the the Glazers they don't need to sell. 
here's the point. They can sit and drain that club every year, picking up loans and dividends and everything else. Because as far as as far as they're concerned, only two things matter, which is the TV money and the commercial revenue. The fans mm. can't influence that. The fans can say, well, we're going to give up our season tickets, to which the Glazers will say, we've got a waiting list of 50,000. Tough. We'll just give it to the next guy. And the next guy won't be nearly as concerned about, you know, who owns the club and who runs the club. The next guy will probably be in London, travels up once or twice a year to watch the game from a nice, uh, you know, a nice vantage point. You know, doesn't really follows the club on TV, but doesn't really follow it. Kind of, he's not born and bred in Salford, that kind of individual. And that's the problem with United is that United have reached that stage where they're a global multi-billion-dollar industry. Or People a fly in from thousands of miles away to watch them play. You know, and and the club doesn't really care about its fans. It doesn't. For every every local fan that says I'll never attend again, I'll go and support, watch FC United. They know there's someone going to you know travel up from London on the train or, or fly in from uh, from Beijing to get just so they can get pictured at Old Trafford with the United scarf. This is That's true. The, the the stage at which the protest can make a difference is gone. Um, and the kind of protest they made on Saturday were the only thing that can actually hurt the Glazers, which is when games get called off, you know, and the club starts to hurt through fines, through possible, we're still talking about possible penalties to uh, points loss, which would really hurt the club. And this is where a lot of the fans are saying, oh, we, we shouldn't have taken the protest that far. I'm like, well, if you want an outcome, which is the Glazers out, you're going to have to start to, you know, looking to that level of protest because mm-hmm. just saying, I won't go there and I won't buy the merchandise, it's not going to cut it. That's true. Luke, Steve kind of touched on it there, but you now are in a in an era where the days of perhaps 70,000 Mancunians born and bred from the streets of Salford, uh, lying in the Stratford end, they're gone now. A lot of Manchester Manchester United's ground, a lot of uh, Chelsea's ground, a lot of uh, Liverpool's ground, even today, is made up of. Fans who come to the stadium, uh, they come to the the city on a break, and they think, "Oh, should we catch a game while we're here?" Uh, they come to the, uh, the UK and they think, "Oh, we'll catch a game at Man U while we're here." Mm. Um, or the, of the, the 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 armchair fans who catch the one or two games a year, the tourist fans. Yeah. The fact that these have become tourist clubs now, and as Steve says, basically meaning that the hardcore's giving up their season tickets doesn't really matter. Do you think that's where the biggest issue is going to be for those hardcore fans who are just desperate to have their club back from these leeches, essentially? Do you think that's where that problem mainly lies? It's interesting, actually, because, I mean, if you think back to even Roy Keane at the time was talking about the, you know, the plastic fans with their prawn sandwiches and stuff. So I don't think this is anything particularly new with Manchester United. I do think it is a problem for, for the hardcore fans because, you know, We've we've always joked that you know all the Cockneys love Man United and that's their favourite team and all that sort of stuff. You know, God love a duck and Man United, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you know, joking aside, it, it kind of is the truth, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's difficult if you're a Manchester United fan that is actually from Manchester. You're going to be hurting more, but ultimately, they're in a kind they're of not the fan. in terms of the, as I yeah. said in the ESL, the whole ESL thing. They're not the fans yeah. they care about. They're legacy fans. Yeah, that's true. That's exactly it. Nick. They don't care about the legacy fans. Head. They care about totally. fans of the future. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, Luke, 
Steve doesn't think there's anything really that the fans can do. What do you think? Is there anything at all that the fans, as a fan base, can actually do that will go some distance towards removing the Glazers from their current positions, owners of the club? And the same goes for Liverpool yeah. fans in FSG. Well, see, the, the, the problem is with, with um, teams like Manchester United and Liverpool, the, the, the fans have got very little leverage. It's not as if they can organise to buy them out. Um, so, so really, practically speaking, all they can do is either boycott the games and, 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 and you know, picket them so that they don't sell tickets and stuff like that. And, um, you know, ensure that, um, you know, that nobody... Nobody actually does watch the games as well and, and pay-per-view and stuff like that. So, but but their, their options are limited. It's the same as Newcastle. There's there's very little you can do to, to force yeah. uh, Steve Ashley to, to go either. And and that's a pity. That is a real pity as far as I'm concerned because the, the fans are the lifeblood of the game as far as I'm concerned. So it's And, and even though it's Man United and everybody hates them, it's still a shame, you know. I can see Steve laughing at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think it is a very, very tough situation. Um, I think there's a there's been a lot of calls from fans uh, for the fifty plus one rule, which is used quite significantly in Germany, to be brought into place in the Premier League and in British football um, as a whole. Really, do you see that yeah. as a viable alternative to? Well, a viable solution to the problems that we're facing in English football at the minute, Steve. Um, yeah, honestly, no. Um, here, here's the thing: that the German model is built on decades of you know the, of the clubs running things the right way, and the league and the country wanting it run that way. Right? Um, it, it's very, very kind of across the board, nice and equal. Germany has a very high. Um, percentage of people who still have very socialist values, um, and that's that's like a that's a word you just can't say in the UK anymore. Um, the, if you put a fans group in front and in, in, in charge of a team, um, that team would tank. Uh, we we grew up. Luke, Luke and I both grown up with the the scenario of we see what happens when a fan buys a club, right? Um, well, a millionaire fan buying a <laughs> club, right? And you watch as that club just disintegrates because the people who buy it have no idea how to run a business. Um, yeah. So my, my thought on that would be if you have a fan holding, right, where fans are paying into it, that's fine, right? And then you appoint someone, uh, a trustee or, or a director you know, or individuals to the business who understand how to run the club and you let them run it, but they take guidance from the fans. And the fans will, will you know, vote on various issues, transfers, etc. And yeah. um, but it does lead to a very convoluted situation where um, I can't remember the name of the team years back where they, it was a completely fan bought model. They just put out like ten thousand shares, and the fans ten thousand fans bought them a pound a time, or ten pound a time. And the club suddenly had an influx of hundred grand, which was great. But then each of those fans had voting rights on what was the lineup going to be on a Saturday. Um, who do we buy? Who do we sell? It creates confusion, and you need Steve. That's business. not how fifty plus one works, though. But, but how does fifty plus one work for it in your mind? Well, fifty plus one in, works in, Germany. in yeah. Germany. It works. It's I, basically as a definition. The fifty plus one rule means that the club's supporters, i.e., members of a supporters trust, 
must hold 50 50% of the club's voting shares plus one share. That's how the 50 plus one yeah. works. Um, and basically what that allows them to do is then uh, hold elections in which they vote people into power who they believe will do a good job to mm-hmm. essentially rule the club. They don't vote on who's going to play on a weekend. Like, if, no. If they don't even no. they don't vote on transfers. They have no, influ- no. They have no influence they, on that kind of thing. I, I remember what the, it was Ebb's fleet that did it. Um, and it was a complete disaster. But no, if that's how 50 plus one works in Germany, then, then that's fine. But from a perspective of fans owning the club and voting on, on someone in charge, um, Barcelona are 1.6 billion in debt using that exact model. So yeah. I'm not entirely sure it's such a good idea. Um, I, I, I have no, no issue with the fans owning a large holding so that they get a say. So that there's no kind of one shareholder that can just say, well, I have 51%. Therefore, what I say goes, um, but I, I don't. I don't think the fifty plus one model. It certainly wouldn't work at United because then you have to go out and find fans who are prepared to come up with two billion pounds to buy fifty percent of the shares off the Glazers, and it's not going to happen. It's not necessarily about owning fifty percent. That's where a lot of the confusion with the fifty plus one rule comes from. Is it's not about the fans owning fifty percent of clubs. They don't own fifty percent of the club. That isn't how it works. They have voting shit. They have voting rights. They hold the voting rights. So the actual club and who owns the club and who has it, who's financially in charge of the club, I think it's some. There's something, and obviously somebody who's more knowledgeable about this can correct me in the comments after the game, after the podcast. Um, it's something to do with it's a different company. So the actual financial aspect of it is um, a different company, but the overall club is what the fans buy into in terms of like they, they pay their membership to be a part of a supporters trust, which allows them to have voting rights, essentially. So it's the, the fans who, in the 50 plus one rule, it's not about the fans owning 51% of the club. They don't own the club. That's not how that works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking of in terms of the company, obviously. And the, the big problem you have there is obviously United are a listed company, you know, as far as the stock market goes. There are certain rules there with regards to, to ownership percentages, um, and the, the fans getting voting rights. The voting rights of, of shares um, are very different, I'm guessing, as, in terms of corporate, in terms of um, company law in the UK, to how they are maybe in, in the model that you have adopted in Germany, whereby it's it's a voting rights rather than an ownership thing. Yeah, it's it's a very convoluted system, but it's one that works in Germany because it's a it's a system that basically means that the fans. <laughs> Are the top priority in um, in the sport? The fans basically select. It's the reason why a, a season ticket in Germany costs little more than a one match day ticket costs in an Arsenal to go to an Arsenal game. It's football. It's for the fans, and your match day ticket in a lot of cities even gets you on public transport on the day to get you to the ground and things like that. It is the reason why German football is more in touch with its fan base than I think any of the other top leagues in Europe. Um, Luke, where do you come down at 50 plus one? Do you know what I think is a good idea? I, I'd love to see um, more fans in the clubs. And I, I sort of think in the longer term, that's probably the way it should go, in all honesty. And I, I actually think they should go further and introduce things like a salary cap and stuff to stop all these wages getting out of control. Because some, of some of the wages that players are getting paid are absolutely ridiculous. And it's it's getting kind of beyond a joke now. And we are, we are the ones that are having to pay it through multiple different pay-as-you-go things with BT and Sky Sports and 
you know, every other blooming channel, Premier Sports for the Cup and all that kind of nonsense. And I, I, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm getting tired of it. Do you know what I mean? I've not got a like, endless pit of money, much yeah. as I'd like to have, but I don't. So, you know. Yeah, it's it's a it's a weird situation, my friend. Um, we'll move back to Manchester United a little bit um, and talk about something Steve mentioned earlier, um, in that there's been a lot of fans, uh, a lot of fans of other clubs in particular, as you might expect, saying that United should be docked points for the actions of their fans this weekend. Luke, do you think that's a fair punishment? Uh, do you know what? That's like that is. Honestly, opening a real can of worms because all it takes is one set of um, hardcore fans of another club to go and create trouble, and suddenly everyone's getting dot points left, right, and centre, and the winners get minus one points at the end of the season. Just yeah. think what Sunderland fans would do in Newcastle. They <laughs> pretend to be, you know, they, they would, they would do it in a heartbeat, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, of course. Steve, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I completely disagree with that. This this is the kind of paranoid approach that's getting put out for, for a lot of clubs. You know, well, if, if we do that, then what will happen is like, you know, the fans of our rivals will come and st- they, they'll stir up trouble, but we'll get dot points for it. It's like, no, they won't. It's a, it's a, the argument there is based on the fact that the police don't exist. <laughs> Just, you know, I'm pretty certain that... Well, Just because they're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Look... Look, you're being paranoid about this. Trust me. It's like it's, it's like Rangers fans are arguing. It's like, well, hang on. You know, um, what happens if Celtic fans decide to come and cause trouble outside of Ibrox? And I'm like, I'm pretty certain that Rangers fans and Celtic fans have no trouble finding fights outside of Ibrox and Celtic Park, regardless of whether or not teams are getting dock points. And they've been doing it for centuries, right? United and Liverpool fans have had plenty of chances to fight with each other, and I've never seen clubs getting dock points, okay? What you will get is always a hardcore of fans at your team want the team to run the right way, okay? Um, and when they see that not happening, they'll protest. They'll protest loudly. And then sometimes, you know, they'll take that protest as far as they possibly can or beyond um, legally, uh, which is why also we got rests at the weekend. But I, I don't I don't see the, the viewpoint that, like, you know, people will come and cause trouble and you'll get dock points for it. If that was the case, that would have happened a long, long time ago. Yeah, I think that's always been a little bit of a worry, though, that sort of uh, paranoia, as Steve calls it, about a lot of the things. It's one of the things that people bring up when you talk about racism punishments is the reason why you can't dock teams points um, and punish teams so heavily for doing that is because you'll just get fans of other teams coming to the grounds and shouting racial abuse um, in order to get the team banned uh, or docked points or something like that. You know what I mean? It's it's always been one of the arguments against docking teams points for that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, um, I think we should probably move it back to uh, the pitch, realistically. Uh, we do apologise if you were hoping to hear some talk about the weekend's Premier League action, but we don't really have the time for that. We've got half an hour until the Champions League kicks off, so we would like to wrap this uh, to wrap up before that kicks off. Um, but we will <laughs> quickly preview the two semi-final second legs. This week, the UEFA Champions League semi-finals second legs ties take place with Manchester City and PSG first. That one takes place in half an hour's time, followed by Chelsea v Real Madrid tomorrow. Both ties are finally poised, uh, with Manchester City taking a 2-1 lead back to the Etihad after a stunning second-half performance in Paris. And Chelsea are locked at 1-1 with Real Madrid uh, after the first leg of Madrid, giving Chelsea a small advantage on away goals. Um, 
A little bit of team news about tonight, which I think will be interesting to you boys. Kylian Mbappe is on the bench. Um, he's Ooh. nursing he's nursing a calf injury. So uh, Mario Cardi starts in this place. Luke, how big of a problem is that going to be for PSG? You know what? He's like the talisman, isn't he? So I think I think they must have done everything to try and get him ready for the game. But I think the fact that he's on the bench speaks volumes that he'll be he'll be lucky to hobble off for the last fifteen minutes if they need him, uh, which they're going to, because Man City yeah. played brilliantly in the last game, and there's nothing to suggest that they won't do it again. But I mean, they are a great team, and um, so I, I'm I'm really looking forward to the game. Actually, I'm super super excited about it. Uh, I think City will, I think are going to do it. I think. Steve, it's going to be a tough ask for City to keep PSG out tonight. Yeah, it, it's going to be easier without Mbappe. I, mean, mm. I was looking at the stats for it, and, and Mbappe's, Mbappe's stats as a player in the Champions League are absolutely insane. His, his stats for just this season alone, um, just, just for the club, it's like he scored 37 goals in 43 games including eight in 10 Champions League matches, right? You you lose a player like that, you lose so much more, you lose so much more than just the goals. You lose the confidence in the team of where's our talisman, where's our guy that's, that's got us to the dance, the guy that brought us to this level. He's not there, he's on the bench. And yeah. he was struggling um, with that calf injury before the weekend. He missed the, the game against Lons. Um, and to be honest... Um, I think it's we, we talked before about when City have De Bruyne back and you, you know he's carrying a kind of a, a niggle here and there and you, you play him in a game that he's maybe not you know he probably shouldn't start but you desperately need him um, in fact the exact perfect example Andy was talking about the Carabao Cup a couple of weeks ago and Harry Kane basically hobbling through the game not looking match fit not looking sharp but he's the talisman that you need on there to to galvanise the players around him and give them the confidence and without Mbappe I think I think PSG will really struggle tonight. I mean, they're already minus to Dragana Gay from the from the red card from the first leg, and Herrera uh, is playing in place of him, and Abdou Diallo is playing instead of uh, Mitchell Backer at left back as well. It's Moise, it's Moise mm. Keane there. It's Moise Keane on the bench again. Yeah, I've not seen the lineups for tonight, but yeah, Moise Keane's on the bench. It's uh, as I mentioned before, it's Maro Cardi who's in place of Mbappe. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's another one. It's like Moise Keane, the guy who goes to Everton and then gets loaned out to PSG. I mean, how many players do you know they get loaned to bigger clubs? <laughs> it's just a weird one. Crazy, isn't it? There's with very good agents. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think PSG will struggle um, without Mbappe's pace. They still have Neymar's trickery, but it's Neymar. Which Neymar shows up tonight? Is it the Neymar that you know, in the first leg was almost unplayable, dribbled at everyone, got into the box, was set up everything left, right, centre, and was unlucky not to come away with a couple of goals? Or is it Neymar that will dive and huff and roll around the place and be looking for, for free kicks and, and penalties and, and yellow cards? I think um, you'll see, I think you'll see possibly both of those Neymars. In the first half, he'll be ready and raring to go. But if he gets to about if he gets to the second half and things aren't going PSG's way, you might mm-hmm. start to see a little bit of the more temperamental Neymar. Yeah, I, I personally think we'll, we'll see. I think in the first five, ten minutes, um, someone like Diaz or Stones is up against them. They'll give them a little bit of a reducer. And after that, you'll be like, well, I don't really want to play. The big boys kicked me. And I'll be the last we'll see a Neymar in this game. <laughs> Interesting. Um, 
Luke, the way PSG normally play is basically on the counter attack. Sorry, Alexa, I wasn't talking to you there. Anyway, PSG like to play on the counter attack. Um, and Kylian Mbappe is a big part of that. With Mario Cardi, is yeah. a very different type of player. He doesn't possess the pace he that is. Mbappe possesses. Um, he's not really a kind of a player that's going to slot into a breakaway system very well. So are you expecting to see a different style from PSG tonight with that Mbappe? They've got to go for it anyway. I, I was kind of thinking that anyway, that they, they've kind of got to go for it in any case. So I think they were always going to change their style anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, to, to, to sort of be much more on the, the front foot. So um, that's why I think it'll be a really good game, actually, because I, I, I don't think they're going to hold back. I, I sort of liken it to the same way in the previous round when Bayern Munich had a right good go at PSG. Kind of the same sort of scenario where they just went for it and it was a really, really good game. And I think that's what will happen tonight. Because City, City won't, you know, sacrifice. They're not going to sit in. They're going to play their game, aren't they? So... It could Does be City have the minerals to deal with it, do you think? Oh, why? Oh, why? I, I think they're, they're way improved this year, way improved in defence as well. So I, I kind of think yeah, it's going to be really cool and really interesting. Yeah. Could be 9-8. I hope so. That would be awesome. <laughs> it's just a thought, Anna. One, one of the things that, one of the reasons I think City will win this is the exact opposite of PSG. City, yeah, they, they have De Bruyne there in the midfield, but this season when City haven't had De Bruyne, City have still looked like an amazing team. It's like the, it's a, people slot in and slot out. It's like they, they have the right players to cover the system, the right players to rotate, the right players when they have injuries. Um, so they don't have that one talisman where it's like someone gets knocked out injured and they're going to be like, oh no, what do we do? Um, it's like Aguero hasn't played most of the season and yet City, mm. the goals have come from everywhere. Mares, Gundogan, everyone basically except Raheem Sterling. Um, and I, th- there's no weakness in City. This is the thing. Uh, you can't look at the team and say, oh, they've got a problem at centre back, they've got a problem on the wing backs, they've got a problem out wide, problems. They haven't. Not only have they got no, no problems, but they've got cover in all those positions for when a problem arises. They have the best squad in the Champions League. Uh, and that's the reason why I still think they're going to win it. A friend of mine said to me earlier this week that given that City could do what they did at the weekend, which was essentially change their entire team bar like three players. Um, one of whom was the goalkeeper, and still have that level of quality in your starting eleven. City should win every trophy every season. No reason why they shouldn't. I mean, uh, City at, at the moment look as they're going to win three trophies this season, right? And they want the, the fourth one. You know, they, they went out on penalties. It's like just. It, it's an awesome squad. It's scary. And you know what happened in the summer is they only need to go out and buy one or two players. And they won't buy first-team starters. They'll buy someone to fit into the rotation. Pep was quoted in the press this week as saying, if you've got a player who doesn't like to be rotated, Man City is probably not the best place for them. But if you've got a player that wants to win trophies, Man City is absolutely the best place for them. Yeah. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but... Are Manchester City the current favourites of the four remaining clubs to win the Champions League trophy, Luke? Yes. Yeah? I'm saying that kind of sheepishly because I want Chelsea to win, but yes. (laughs) Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) 
I am actually literally crying here, by the way, saying that. You know that? Literally crying. <laughs> no sympathy. My team's, I've got no sympathy because <laughs> my team are 70. So, shush. I'm not going to feel sorry for you for being in the Champions League. Semi-time. I know. It's, it's, it's a tough <laughs> life, mate. It's a tough life, you know. I bet. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> what do you think? Are the City the favourites? Yeah, City are the favourites. I mean, City are the best team. City are the best squad. City are the most informed. City have the... The most stability of all the squads, um, and, and City are the favourites for the title. The only thing that will stop City is a Chelsea performance like they did in the FA Cup semi-final, um, where they kind of like backs the wall. You know, they, they stay super organised and they look to kind of hit on the break. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, City, City should win tonight. There, there's nothing, nothing I see in that PSG lineup that says to me PSG can win that game tonight. Um, Neymar, Di Maria, not doing it for you. Yeah, I, I hate. I can't believe I'm saying this. Like Neymar, Di Maria, and it's like which of the four world class centre uh, fullbacks that the City have got will be keeping those in the pockets? Will it be Kyle Walker? Will it be Zinchenko? Will it be Jose Cancelo? You know, the fact that you have players of that quality and they only play 25, 30 games a season, so they will be fresher towards the end of the season because they can rotate. Um, whereas the likes of Neymar, and Di Maria. What, you know, we'll have to play every game um, because PSG, they're, fight, they're still fighting for the league title in France. Um, I think they, they won at the weekend, but I think they're still leveling points with Lille. Um, and yeah, that, so. that's going to go right down to the wire. So you know, PSG can't afford to rest players the way that City can. So, yeah, they're a, yeah, they're a point basis, behind Lille. Actually. Yeah, the, the way that's going, um, it, it just everything points in City's direction. City can play another like rotated 11 players this weekend. Um and, and clinch the title doing it, whereas PSG have got to fire. You know, they've got to put out the strongest team they can every week because they can't risk losing. Yeah, actually, by the way, if you if you are a fan of football and you are interested in some good football, the title fight in France right now is very very close. Lille uh, are top on seventy six points. PSG second on seventy five. Um, then Monaco third on seventy one. Lyon on seventy. So it's definitely worth tuning in for the last three games of the league in season. Uh, I would say, I probably will be. Um, I would go further than that if you really want to see a fun title race. Why don't you go and watch La Liga? Oh yeah, yeah. Where right now, as of last night, you can, you have Atletico on seventy six, Real on seventy four, Barca on seventy four, um, and Sevilla, who if they won last night would be sitting on seventy three, uh, but they they lost um, to to uh, Bilbao. With a, a quite tremendous like 90th minute goal, but yeah, I mean, Atletico, Real, and Barca separated by two points with four games to go. That is an amazing title race. Yeah, some definitely some really good games, uh, some really good title races on the continent this season. Uh, anyway, we'll move on to the Chelsea game because we've got about five minutes before we need to wrap up um, tomorrow. Chelsea and Madrid, who are currently level at one-one. Uh, Luke, mm. you're the Chelsea fan. Are we expecting Chelsea and Tuchel to just sit in and try and protect a clean sheet tomorrow and just leave it, try and keep that nil-nil? Oh, I don't know. I, I think sitting in and hoping for anything each is a dangerous, dangerous game. And I think I think Thomas Tuchel's been through, the, through this too many times to even consider that. I think they'll just... I think Was that not kind of a game. natural game anyway? <laughs> not really, actually. Not really. Not since the system's changed, actually. It's been a lot more... Uh, I quite like the flexibility of the three at the back, actually. It does work quite well. 
Yeah. Um, and actually, the, the people like Aspilicueta have had a bit of a new lease of life actually in that system. So it seems to it seems to work pretty well. The same as same for Rudiger as well. Rudiger has looked tremendous in, in that system as well. Um, I think it's suited them down to the ground. So I, I think they'll play the, the, the you know the, the usual game. Uh, they might be a wee bit more careful, but I I, I fancy them to beat them. I honestly do. Fancy Chelsea for the win again. Come on, come on, let's do this. Come on. Interesting. I, I'll bet good money Steve's going to say something different. You would, would you? I would actually, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, because I'm, I'm I'm looking at the injury report and, and such, and um, I'm I don't see Chelsea getting a, sitting in and getting nil nil draw. I'm looking at the the Madrid injury report and uh, Varane, Vasquez, Carvalho, Carvalho, and Valverde did not train this week. Um, Valverde will probably. He, he was under COVID protocol, so he'll probably be all right. But the rest of them, um, I think um, Varane's probably going to be out. Um, uh, I can tell you, Vasquez, Carvajal, Varane are out. Ferland, Mendy and Sergio Ramos are both very doubtful. Yeah, well, they did take part in training sessions this week, so they might be able to fe- feature. And I think if, if Ramos uh, or Mendy can play, Zidane can kind of play his preferred 4-3-3 system instead of playing with the back five. And if you can do that, you've got a much more kind of attacking uh, Madrid, which let's be honest, since they've given away the away goal, they need to be. They need to like just go out there and, and go flat out. Um, Chelsea have only got two injury problems, but I think it looks as though Rudiger will play with the old um, Phantom of the Opera mask, but uh, Kovacic yep. will be out. So, yeah, I, I, I see it in Chelsea's favour. Um, one of the things I've, I've said since Tuchel took over is Tuchel organised a team which was it was you know filled with talent but low in organisation, um, and he kind of solidified them at the back, which has been the key thing that they needed to to be. Um, he brought back older heads like the likes of Alonso, the likes of Azpilicueta, who Lampard had kind of been looking beyond. Lampard was looking two, three years down the line. He mm. wasn't thinking short term, and I think you're right. Look, look, had it on the head there. Azpilicueta's had a kind of you know he's had a career resurgence this year because. Tuchel has said, look, you are you are my captain, you are my rock at the back, you can play as many games as you're fit to play this season. And Chelsea yeah. benefit from it. Um so I think I, I do think weirdly with uh with Cesar Aspilaqueta is he's kind of been deployed as a right wing back, which is not a role I would ever have attributed to Cesar Aspilaqueta. Yeah, well, he, he, he used to he's play right back between the right centre back. So yeah. He's very between the right centre back and right wing back, just depending on how they wanted to use him. And that, yeah, and that last couple of games, he's been like wing back, hasn't he? Yeah, it has been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I questioned that. I'll say to look. Uh, yes, I see. If if um, if you don't get Ramos or Mendy in the team, um, or if you do get Ramos and Mendy and they're not hundred um, percent, and Zidane plays five at the back, then there's no way to me Madrid win this game. Um, Chelsea can just set. They can. They can keep possession. Um, they can, I mean, they've got tremendous pace uh, and attack, and they'll they'll go on to win this game one 0 possibly even two 0 But if you get if if Ramos is back and Ramos is one hundred percent fit, we talked about talismans. You know, Ramos galvanizes that Madrid team, galvanizes the people around him, and uh, if he plays and he's fit, you know, Madrid could nick this. They could nick it by the odd goal. But if I, I don't want to sit on the fence in this. Um, I'm, I'm coming down to say this is a Chelsea win. Not just looking, they're not going to sit in. They're going to win this 1-0 or 2-0. Can I make a bold prediction? 
I mm-hmm. think. Well, Andy's not here, so yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> that there's been some shades of the 2012, 2011-12 season for, for Chelsea this season. So I think if you see Timo Werner score tomorrow, the flop striker, as it were, um, yeah. in quotation marks, basically playing the role of Fernando Torres, then you will see Chelsea win the Champions League because it's just too similar. If, if, if Timo Werner scores a goal that wins Chelsea the game tomorrow um, or puts Chelsea through the final, then Chelsea are winning the Champions League and I won't be told otherwise because it's just too much like 2012. Come on, if Kim. The first Come on, you know tomorrow, it. Come on. <laughs> if the first goal tomorrow is scored by Karim Benzema, who has taken nothing but stick for the last five years at Madrid, um, then Madrid will win that game. That's that's my kind of... I, I should put five on it, Benzema first scorer. Because if that happens, <laughs> then Madrid are winning that game. I might put a, um, I might put a fiver on Timo Werner to score any time. Probably get about a grand back. Given his uh, <laughs> his form of late, <laughs> that, that's more than he's worth in an oh, open market right now. <laughs> oh, you have little faith. Come on, Timo, you can do this. Come on. I'm a big fan of Timo Werner. I think uh, just before we end, I will say that I do think you'll see the best of Timo Werner next season. He just needs a few goals. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Definitely. We will see the best of Timo Werner next season when he's back playing in the Bundesliga. <laughs> Rubbish. Silly man. Rubbish. Silly man. Anyway, we are going to wrap it up there. Um, that's just about all we've got time for. So do be sure to tune in again next week when we'll be back to debate another week of football headlines from around the Premier League and beyond. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then.